Please send Ben Hodgkinson in. You asked to see me, Georgia. Yes, Ben. Please sit down. I'm sure you know what this is about. Oh, yes. I suppose it's the fact that I'm leaving Mercedes AMG High Performance Powertrains and moving to Red Bull to... Yes, to run their new powertrain department. Are you angry about that, Toto? No, 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 not at all. So it's not true that you're going to delay my move, then? I wouldn't dream of doing anything like that. You know me, Ben. Oh, well. Thank you, Toto. I should say goodbye now and wish you good luck in your new venture, but not too much luck, of course. <laughs> <laughs> bye, then. Bye-bye, Ben. Oh, just one last thing. You know how you used to like keeping an eye on the lovely gardens outside my office here and occasionally helping them out from time to time? Oh, yes, I shall miss that. It was my only relaxation here at the company. The time I spent on that lawn helping out, I wasn't thinking about, you know, hydraulic valve systems. It was really relaxing. And that lawn, it's so grand, so lovely, immaculate. Well, would you do one last thing for me before you go? Oh, what's that, Toto? Just for old time's sake, you know. Give it one last trim. Of course, Toto, it'll be a pleasure to ride the AMG lawnmower one last time. Oh, that thing's a beast. It can do the whole six acres of turf in less than two hours. No, 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 Ben. Don't use that. Use these tiny scissors. It shouldn't take long, you bloody splitter. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, he's Alex. Hi. He's Zog. Hello. And I thought we should talk about electric cars to kick off the show this week because I read some stats today that in the first three months of 2021, I think 7.5% of car sales were for pure battery electric cars, which is double what it was last year, also during lockdown. So it's sort of comparable in some ways. We are on the verge of the electric revolution. We have been on the verge of the electric revolution for a little while now. Sog, are you about to take up electric cars? I know you're committed to your lovely internal combustion engine car, but do you think electric cars work for everybody yeah they don't work for everybody but they work i would say for most people's everyday use yep scenario requirements that yeah it's not surprising that sales are up and yeah i mean they do work for most people most of the time you know there are issues around range and charging speed if you regularly need to do a lot of miles but for most people, particularly if you live in a city rather than being stuck where in the country, they work very well. Do electric cars work for you, Alex? Are you in a position where you could switch entirely over to electric cars right now? Yes and no. I think I'm in a very strange position because I live in a flat in the middle of London. So in theory, the London bit means I should be ideal for an electric car because I don't ever need to hop around the city every now and then. But the living in a flat thing is the issue for me because 
a lot of electric charging takes place at home, yep. but I live on the first floor of our building. As you well know, Gareth, you have been here yep. and Zog, you've been outside it. Yeah. I can't get a cable out of my front door, across a balcony, out of a window, down one story, then across a car park easily. My neighbours might be a little bit miffed if I did that. Yep. So that bit doesn't work for me. And I'm not quite at the stage when I'm okay leaving the second most expensive thing I own out on a street attached to a lamppost. I'm not quite there yet, especially because I can't be near it because I live on a main road, basically. It's the kind of thing where if I lived in my mum's house in Cambridge, Mm -hmm. I would get away with an electric car because I could charge it at home. I could keep it in the garage if it was really narrow or it wouldn't matter as much. But right now for me, they don't quite work. I need more range and less charge time and I don't need it to be a £90,000 Porsche Taycan. Yeah, you've got this particular issue around being able to leave it charging overnight. That's an interesting kind of position Mm. you're in. Could you replace your car with an electric car? For me, in terms of where I'm living and infrastructure around here and everything, I could perfectly happily and very sensibly swap my car for an all-electric vehicle. Now, I'm not about to do that because I happen to be rather fond of that 1987 Porsche 944 Turbo. But also, it's not a car that I have to use every day and do a bunch of miles in. If I was having to use it every day in London, I would always be compelled to go electric because the additional charge is levied on that vehicle as opposed to a new electric vehicle and just the running costs of filling it with petrol. You know, an electric vehicle would be an attractive option for me if I was starting with a blank sheet of paper and no emotional attachment to what I'm driving now. Yeah, they're getting more attractive. I think as more and more manufacturers start producing viable medium and long-range electric cars, the overall price of an electric car is coming down. I think that's probably one of the key movers in this. The other one is this incredible irony that the people who benefit most from having an electric car live in cities. And those who live in cities don't have off-street parking. So charging at home becomes a much greater issue for us. They do in Dulwich, but... That's not oh, yeah. really the city, is it? <laughs> it's practically Normandy, isn't it, Dulwich? Yeah, yeah that's pretty much France. <laughs> you need yourself a light year solar charging car. One, amazingly smooth segue. Two, I read about that this week. What is the deal with this car? Please tell me. Right, it's a new electric car which claims to offer far greater range than any other BEV, Bev, Beverly. Crusher. By topping up its charge with a massive surface area of solar panels which have been developed over competitions crossing, uh, I think, the Australia thing. Didn't that used to be the case where every year like there would be a competition yep. where these pancakes covered in solar cells yeah. would be launched across the Australian outback or in Africa somewhere and a load of students would be very excited that their pancake went 0.3 of a millimetre further yeah. than last year's pancake. Yeah. And you're telling me now that that pancake technology... Shrove Tuesday on wheels has become something I could have on my drive. Yes, but... But... I don't know if you've seen this car. It's an incredibly long thing. It makes the McLaren long tail... The speed tail. Yeah. The long tail cars, their spoilers are slightly longer. The speed tail is just (laughs) long. 
It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes the speed tail look like a bobcat or a manx cat. You know, it's so extruded, this thing. And the reason for that is, of course, aerodynamic efficiency and to give a larger top surface for these solar panels. But so you're good on the maths of these kind of things. I can't see that amount of surface area being any use to powering a very heavy vehicle that carries two, four, five people and making any sort of difference. I'm really sceptical about this car. Well, yeah, it would be a mistake to think that even covering the entire top surface of even a largish car with solar panels gives you enough power to recharge at any really useful rate. This thing will recharge itself if you leave it parked all day in the bright sunlight. I think they're saying seven and a half miles of range with six hours in decent sunlight. So if you're in a sunny country, if it's better than a cloudy British autumn day, and you're in the sun for six hours, you'll get seven and a half miles of range. Now, that's not enough to sustain much of a daily driving cycle. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to have the top up. But if you're doing any kind of daily commute, you're going to have to be plugging in to charge up. And any car that was taking this approach would have this basic problem that there's only so much solar energy hitting the surface of the planet per square metre. You can only get so much power out of solar panels. And a full-size car is a reasonably heavy thing. And therefore, even if you make it super aerodynamic as they have in this case and as lightweight as possible which again i think they've done it's a 60 kilowatt hour battery pack rather than the bigger battery packs that a lot of electric vehicles have you're only going to get a helper boost from the solar panels on your roof two things strike me about this one is even though you know we say seven and a half miles after six hours it doesn't sound like a lot but actually when you consider how far that technology has come that's actually quite impressive. I mock oh, because yeah, pancake, but that is sure. actually quite good for where we are at this sort of embryonic stage of technology. Bear in mind, I was watching these pancake cars on Newsround when I was a kid a billion years ago. <laughs> uh, Lizo was going, oh, yeah, this is great. Look at how amazing this is. And I was like, wow. But also the other thing that strikes me is that, you know, we're talking about solar panels. And, you know, you leave your car outside your house or you leave it outside the office. What if you have only an underground car park? Yeah. Then you're stuffed. Then you're stuffed. Yeah. Or what if you live in northern Europe where there just ain't enough sunlight to make any sort of difference at all? Then you get half as much charge, so it's half as useful. I think this is good. You can't knock a vehicle that's getting free power from the sky. Thinking about it, if you live, say, in Cambridgeshire, I mean, it's like, say what you know. If you live in Cambridgeshire, say you live in the village of Bottisham and you work on the outskirts of Cambridge, you could, in theory, get to and from work for free every day. Okay. Which is actually really good. It is pretty good. But for long trips, you need to plug in. But if you're doing a journey that's only seven miles every day, you could probably do that on an electric scooter or a bicycle, or you don't really need a vehicle. Well, yes and no, but in the Boston-Cambridge situation, it's an A road connecting the two of them, and you've got to cross the A14, which is quite... So it's a B road connecting the two of them, you've got to cross the A14. And the argument that I constantly have with cycle people in Cambridge is, yes, I get it, you can cycle everywhere, but my 70-year-old mum doesn't necessarily want to cycle down a B road across an A road. Yeah. So what Lightyear have come up with here is a car that will sell to people in Florida, California, Spain, Italy, 
and your 70-year-old mum in Cambridge, and that's it. Yes. Niche marketing. But there's still, there's quite a lot of people. There are some people there. There are. Yeah, California is a big market. Florida, lots of sun. It would make a difference to them. But there are better, more efficient ways of harvesting the sun's energy. The Tesla route, or any electric car route, of having solar panels, photovoltaic cells on your roof, which go into your home battery storage system, which then go into your car. So they're collecting that energy all day over a massive surface area and then when you park your car at night top it up from that that's a far more efficient route can i take issue with the word efficiency there because efficiency is referring to specifically how much of the energy that's available you're turning into useful energy now if the solar panels on your light year are as efficient as the solar panels on your roof and let's say you're not losing any juice in between storing it in your home power bank and then squirting those electrons out to your car, it's not necessarily more efficient. You may be getting more energy because you've got a greater area of panels, but it's not necessarily more efficient. It's more practical, but that's a different thing. Okay, I've had my pedantic moment. Please continue. So it's not pedantic, it's accurate, and I respect that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I like to think that I'm just bringing a little more clarity. Yeah. So we welcome what Lightyear have suggested bringing to the party. It's not the best solution yet. There are other solutions. Lots of new electric cars announced at the moment. Anyone read that absolutely sparkling, glowing review that Hyundai got for their new Ionic 5. Ionic 5, yes. Yeah. Not Ionic, Ionic 5. Why is it the Ionic 5? It sounds like a superhero group, doesn't it? The Fantastic Four, the Ionic 5. Well, they've created Ionic as a sub-brand for all their electric cars now. So in the way that AMG is a sub-brand of Mercedes. Or Alpine is a sub-brand of Renault. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a sub-brand for Hyundai. But have there been for other individual Ionics? I know they do an Ionic three ways, don't they? Yeah, they can have an Ionic pure electric, uh, plug-in, uh, hybrid. Or yeah. hybrid. But where's Ionic 4? Or is this like a Mambo number 5 situation? It's a range. I think we're just coming straight in with the 5. Yeah, there'll be the 5. The smaller one will be the 3. The big one will be the 7. And then BMW will go, Ah, we have those numbers! They were ours! (laughs) I I think that's their thoughts. But I'm genuinely impressed by it. I'm a sucker. I admit, hands up, I am a sucker for what Hyundai do because Zog and I have both had really positive experiences with a number of Hyundai cars. You remember it was a Hyundai that we attempted the Land's Engine John O'Groats in an electric car and there was nothing wrong with that car that stopped us from achieving that. The first how-did-you-fuel cell car I drove was a Hyundai and this is, I've said it before, a firm who were taking on Toyota, the biggest car manufacturer in the planet at their own game and they're tackling all the sort of things that Toyota do and I love them for that and I also love this N brand you see they've released a Kona N today as well a sporting version of the Kona and it's going to be an absolute cracker and the people of Portugal will laugh riotously at the name yes yes as they do (laughs) Um, the guy who runs it what's his name Albert Beerman who used to be at BMW M division Herr Beerman the man who made the M3 and M4 really good yeah well the last generation M4 and M3 were a bit naff but until they fixed them but then they were really good (laughs) well having driven the i30 and it's an absolute belter and I'm certain the i20 I know the i20 is and I'm confident that this will be too go on then what are your questions I have a question of your opinion on the i30 yeah what did you think of the ride 
It's pretty uncompromising. By uncompromising, do you mean that hard and horrible? <laughs> I wouldn't say it was horrible. I spent some time in that car. I've driven both versions. I drove the original i30N and I drove the revised version. Yeah. I didn't think that the original one was harsh. It was hard, but it wasn't harsh. And I'm absolutely certain that the revised version was way better. One up. I drove to Wales and around Wales extensively in it. And at no point thought, oh, my coccyx, you know. Right, OK. I liked it. I drove it with spirit. With spirit? Yes. And that worked. That worked. Yeah, big fan of the car. But sorry, we've gone slightly off topic. Sorry, yeah, my fault. No, no. We're the interjection there, Mr. Goy. Let's come back to the Ionic 5, which looks cracking, doesn't it? Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man, it looks mega. People are saying it's a Lancia Delta Integrale crossed with Tron, and I dig that. I am 100% down with that look. It looks mega. I haven't read the in-depth things, but I've seen the highlights, and the highlights are, it's really good. The thing is, when you look at the company, the Hyundai Kona and its sort of stablemate, the Kia e-Nero, every kind of proper motoring journalist you see, and you say, what should I get? And they go, well, you can get Honda E's and Mini Electrics and things like that that do 125 miles, or you can spend like a tiny bit more and buy the one with the badge that's not quite as desirable. But this will do 280 miles on a charge. Like, it actually will. Yeah. Mm. And you think, you know what, if these guys are saying it, and they genuinely do this stuff for a job like day in day out and they go no if i was going to do this i would buy this one because it's the closest you'll get to a proper car at the moment Hmm. and now you have it and it looks like a car from the future perfect did you see that hyundai did a sort of an updated electric version of the pony recently do you remember the pony yes i never liked the original pony that's because it was cheap and nasty and horrible but now hyundai make good cars and they've made it look cool they make fab cars, and I thought that sort of revisionist version of the pony looked really good. And they say that they allude to the styling of the pony in the Ionic 5. I see that a little bit, but I actually think the Ionic 5 is, like you said, a Lancia Delta Integrale Tron Edizione, which is a mm-hmm. bloody marvellous idea, really. Can't wait to get my hands on one. Weirdly, though, the stereo's stuck to Daft Punk. Can't get off it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that integrally thing. It has some particular sort of angles and the way that certain faces and panels come together that, yeah, just gives it a really sort of solid, dynamic look. Yeah. And it's got the range, it's got the ability, it's got the fast charging. It can fast charge up to 350 kilowatts. Is that right? Yeah, look forward to trying it. I really can't wait. Okay, let's talk about the other big players in electric cars at the moment and the deal that has been struck recently or alleged to have been struck, between Tesla and Toyota. And it was a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Hyundai and Apple, weren't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's all about partnerships. Pilot said this this week. Oh, partnerships are the way ahead. Don't try and do something on your own. Partner up with someone who's got those skills. And that's exactly what's happening here. You can see what's in it for Toyota, because Toyota are late to the pure electric party, aren't they? They've always been down hybrid avenue. Yeah, very cool. And they've got their first pure battery EV now. But what do you think is the benefit for Tesla in this? Why are Tesla sharing their skill set with the biggest car maker on the planet? What is the one environment you never see a Toyota? Uh, uh, underwater? Back of a breakdown truck. <laughs> that sounds like an advertising line. You never see them there. And if there's one thing Toyota knows how to do, it's build cars that don't fall apart. True. And if there's one thing that Tesla knows how to do, it's build electric cars. Yep. Put the two together 
And actually, you've got yourself a fairly fearsome coupling because the Toyota family's first thing is the UX 300E, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's a small Lexus SUV with batteries in its 180 mile range, I think. Smart looking thing, cool thing, um, if you're into that. But that's so far it. And I haven't heard any more murmuring. So they launched the second generation Mirai, but that's for a hydrogen infrastructure that doesn't really exist yet. So actually, if you get Tesla going, do you want all of our secrets? And can you teach us how to build a window switch? Can you tell us how to glue bits of car together so they don't fall apart? Perfect. Because Tesla have got a great reputation for designing very functional cars, but their build quality... Nothing dreadful. (laughs) That good, eh? People often complain about the panel gaps. They complain about the fact that the rear bumpers get pulled off when it rains. Toyota have got a policy, haven't they? What's it called? Kaizen, a policy of constant improvement. Is that what they're after? Tesla are kind of learning how to build vehicles along the way. As you say, they've innovated and they've come up with some very, very good technology and very good designs. But they are decades behind a company like Toyota in knowing how to build those things reliably, efficiently, cheaply. And so, yeah, by bringing together Toyota's manufacturing expertise with Tesla technology, you've got a really good possibility there. And for Tesla, apart from simply it being a way to, in the end, sell more vehicles and maybe give them a strategic tie-up that'll be even more useful in the future, it may be the quickest route to producing a cheaper, lower-end Tesla, which they've been struggling to do. So, yeah, it, it makes total sense. Tesla's relationship with Toyota goes way, way back to the very founding of Tesla, actually, because the Tesla factory, the Fremont factory in California, was originally a General Motors plant back in the 1960s. That was a disaster. Then in the 1980s, they turned it into a partnership between General Motors and Toyota and called it the NUMMI, the New Union of Motor Manufacturers, Inc. And what they did, do you remember in the 80s, General Motors sold uh, Suzuki's and Isuzu's and Toyota's as geos in America. So this factory was reinvented to do that, to allow General Motors to produce smaller, more efficient, you know, Japanese technology cars pretty quickly. And when Tesla got going, they looked for investment from other people and Toyota's investment came as part of ownership of this factory. So there are hidden, well, not so hidden, but deep-rooted connections between those two. And I'm thinking if they continue this family line, they're going to be unstoppable. That's going to be a hell of a partnership, isn't it? Tesla and Toyota came together to make the electric RAV4, I think it was, about 10 years ago. Oh, of course. And I think Tesla were building those vehicles for Toyota. And after that deal had finished and they built all the electric RAV4s they were going to build, I think it was after that that Toyota sold their Tesla shares. So they sort of moved apart from each other after that initial collaboration. But now, yeah, now coming back together again, maybe. Intriguing. Okay, let's talk about, I'm going to say a European car manufacturer, but they're not really European at all. They're a Chinese car manufacturer with a European identity Polestar, who've got a small range of pure electric and hybrid cars out and about now. I haven't been in one. I haven't seen one in the flesh. I haven't driven one. 
Alex, have you have you been close? I have. Which one? The two, not the one. Is it lovely? Yes. You say it's a Chinese company with a Swedish thing. Polestar was and still is Volvo's sort of AMG. That was the idea. That's right. They were the sports division, yeah. So the Polestar 1 was initially, if you look at a concept car from years ago that was a Volvo Coupe, that is the Polestar 1. And they did that engineering bit and made it all sporty. And then, yeah, the Polestar 2, it's an XC40 platform. And now you know that it's an XC40 platform. Next time you see one, you'd be like, hang on, that looks like an XC40 with a boot. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The Polestar 2, it was a strange thing because it was tail end of last year when we couldn't do much. And they rang me up and said, Alex, have you seen Tenet yet? And I went, no, I haven't. And would you like to? That sounds lovely. Hang on, seen what? Tenet, the Christopher Nolan film where everything's forwards and backwards. Don't know about this. It's not his finest work. Okay, right. Worth watching, though. Worth watching once and not paying for if you can get away with it. (laughs) Watch someone else's DVD. (laughs) Yeah, they said, do you want to go see it? Then this car arrived and I took my bubble chum to go watch it because it was a novelty for him to be out of his house or my house. And it was a genuinely really impressive bit of kit. It was just brilliant. The thing I loved about it was the, the thing that Polestar's got really right from the off is the branding. And I know this is going to sound very sort of all media lovey, all that nonsense, but... Yeah, it's part of the story. Whenever you see anything remotely Polestar, you notice the typeface, you notice how clean everything is, you notice how clean the logo design is. All their messaging is, we're pro-environment, we're pro-society, we're pro-existing harmoniously. Like, nothing about them says we're going to do a big V8 and we want to do big skids. Everything is, you're going to get you from A to B, you're going to have fun and you're going to enjoy it, but it's not about leaving trails of smoke everywhere. Growing up and responsible fun. Yeah, like, the whole thing is so beautifully thought out. I mean, some of the campaigns they did last year in Pressland, they launched a new space in the Westfield Centre to sell cars. Normally, they get a bunch of journos there and they fill you up with canapes and bottles of wine and whatever and you get a little bit wobbly and sort of fall over on your way home they sent a launch in a box and everything was beautifully polestar like the typography was perfect they said oh you can't be there to cut the ribbon so here's one to cut yourself (laughs) and they said hors d'oeuvres it's like these are vegan nibbles this is our mission this is what we're doing this is why we're doing this like and they explain everything about the reason for the space they've chosen and how they're selling the cars in an easier way for the consumer. And that was really smart. The next one was they sent everyone an empty box. And what was the thinking there? The thinking for the empty box was we're going to make it easy to give back. So they launched a new space in Manchester. And the idea for that one was they sent out these boxes and said, fill it with food for Marcus Rashford's fair share campaign and we'll match it. And we're going to deliver these boxes of food in our fleet of Polestars so you can be part of the story. We just want everyone to know that we've got a new space in Manchester and we care about Manchester and have this. They ended up delivering 2.2 tonnes of food because it just took off. So the press got involved, footballers got involved, actual celebrity people got involved. It was mega. Like, they give a which I really like. Interesting, because it's quite a leap from the foundations of Polestar, which was a pure, sporting, high-octane brand. Well, they made Volvo's sports cars. They opened up the throttle, didn't they? And now it just means purity, doesn't it? Well, the Polestar 2, you can have a performance pack, which comes with adjustable Olin's dampers in a nearly two-ton car. 
It's pointless. Yeah. Who is going to track this thing? But you can have it with Olin's dampers. And you know what? It's mega. It's a really good way to spend time. I really like it. I rate it a lot. Zog, they announced Polestar were going to produce the first truly carbon zero car recently. How do you achieve that? But what they were talking about doing was, uh, and I can't remember the precise wording, but yes, that it was their intention to produce, I can't remember whether the phrase was climate neutral or environment neutral, but the point was that they wanted to make vehicles that were not just low carbon or zero carbon when being run on zero carbon electricity, but which didn't have a climate impact, a carbon emissions impact in the course of their production. Right. And of course, building anything, transporting anything, doing almost anything has some carbon impact, carbon emissions associated with it. You know, if you're going to make steel, the energy that goes into making that steel will almost certainly have involved carbon emissions, unless it's all nuclear or solar i have to ask how are they proposing doing this are they going to organically grow cars in your garden they send you a seed that's carried by a bird or a fish or something and the car it grows out of that seed that surely that's the only way to do that. i think what you're describing there is pretty much a horse <laughs> the pony star done it <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some of the finest engineering brains on the planet are currently addressing the solution to powering electric cars. But they're not the only people thinking about this because returning to Gareth Jones on speed is Liechtenstein's third most popular electronic music combo. Yes, it's the return of Kraftwurst. And they've got a solution for powering electric cars too.
This atomic trend is scanning the nation Because of the risk of genetic mutation This evolution's not the finished article We must account for the effect of the atomic particle so far on this program today but there's an awful lot going on in motorsport as well we'll start with the imminent beginning of the world endurance championship as we speak they will have finished what they call the prologue which is the way that the wec launched their series they have this sort of public test day and they usually do it at Paul Ricard in France, but this year they did it at Spa because the first race 
rescheduled a couple of times in the World Endurance Championship this year is the six hours of Spa, which is probably happening as you listen to this program so if you're listening to this now stop go and watch it this is far more important than us no it's not we're brilliant hush now (laughs) i have a problem with the prologue i don't know if i'm the older one i really hope someone else thought oh look you (laughs) thank you it's not just me it's not just you thank you i thought i was the only one old enough here to remember Frankie Howard's seminal comedy, silly, rude TV series of the 70s called Up Pompeii, which always started with Frankie Howard's character going, The The prologue, and it came to pass. And I cannot get that out of my mind whenever I hear the term prologue for WBC. Outstanding television. My mum was a Latin teacher. I couldn't escape this. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I think this is one of the reasons I studied Latin in school as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, because of Frankie Howard's rudeness. Anyway. Cogito ergo sum, etc., etc. Amoa massimata, mama somatis amant. Equate almost exactly to a Gary Glitter song. I love you, love. No, he doesn't exist anymore. He's dead to us all. Hashtag cancelled. you, love them. Yeah. Right, anyway, sorry, I should have done that. But the best word in Latin, Gareth Jones on Speed Fans, is polyspaston, which means crane. And the verb minxere is to wee. There you are. Latin from Gaul. You learn something every dime on this show. Can't think of any of my favourite Latin terms right now. Anyway, (laughs) let's return to automobili, which is probably more Italian than Latin, isn't it? Ambulante. Let's walk around the paddock. The WEC prologue featured a bit of a gap. In the paddock, in the pit lane, the complete and utter absence of what I thought was going to be called Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus, but is in fact going to be called Glickenhaus Racing. They didn't turn up. Did they not? Oh, they had a bit of an accident, didn't they, beforehand? They've only been testing their cars privately. We haven't seen their cars testing in any public place yet. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, because I know someone who is connected to the team, so is sort of sharing their stuff on social media. And I remember seeing bits of something fallen off or some accident had happened. I think. I mean, you know me and things like this. So in the hypercar class, Z, we've only got the two Toyota GR010s. They are not gr O-10s, they are zero tens. everyone gets that wrong, and the Alpine, the Senior Tech Alpine, which is in fact last year's Rebellion car rebadged. Yes. That hypercar, can I buy one of those? No, this is the bizarre thing, yeah, that the hypercar is open to two classes of car, essentially. Something which has been homologated from a road car or a prototype that you can build to meet the regulations. Right. However, the Alpine is only there because it's a grandfathered car. It's last year's rebellion. And the only reason they're running it, apparently, is that Alpine are considering entering hypercar class properly with an arguably souped up ultra version of something that looks a bit like the Alpine A110 yeah which would be gorgeous if that happens so they're just keeping their hand in by borrowing a rebellion and actually really helping out the WEC organizers because there are no other bloody cars in the class apart from Toyota in the first race well it means Toyota will win again which will be good for them then they can say we won Le Mans again in a class of one (laughs) It's not the same as the Herculean battles we've seen, Zog, in the past between giants. Yeah, it is a shame that the competition isn't there for them, but credit to Toyota for sticking with the programme. Other manufacturers have abandoned the series, and of course there's no reason why manufacturers should have boundless loyalty to series, and teams and manufacturers are always going to come and go. 
But yeah, it is a shame that Toyota doesn't have stronger competition. And we seem to be going into another sort of transition phase before in a couple of years. It's 2022, isn't it, when there'll be the new LMDH rules and in a sense we'll have a new proper era of racing ahead. And it seems like we've got stuck in this slight transition period now. None of the road-going based prototypes that we'd hoped to turn up on the grid have turned up. There's no Aston Martin Valkyrie there. So, yeah, it'll be good to see the season resuming, but it's a shame that Hypercar isn't a bit more active and interesting. I was looking at the times. It's probably changed since I looked this afternoon, but the quickest cars at the end of the first day of the prologue were the G-Drive LMP2 cars and that the Toyotas were some six seconds behind, as were the Alpine. Now, hang on a moment, that wasn't the plan. The whole idea of hypercar was to, like you say, invite more people to compete at the top level with gorgeous-looking cars that reflect road cars. And suddenly, we may have, I hope we haven't, I hope this is just Toyota and Alpine not showing their hand, we may have a situation where the purpose-designed race cars, the LMP2s, with lower power and lower weight, in fact, are more nimble and quicker than the top class. That's like, no, no, we got that wrong. Ah." You know, that's a real problem, isn't it? Okay, in the past, I've said it'd be nice if LMP2 beat an LMP1 car at Le Mans, but I don't want to beat them on anything other than performance on the day rather than there's a performance advantage for that category. You know what I mean? For quite a long time, the LMP2 cars have been getting closer to the top class, and there have been times when at Le Mans there was a chance of an LMP2 car winning. So, yeah, so this is a continuation of that, maybe. But, yeah, the top category, the top class should be the top class of racing, and those cars should be noticeably quicker than whatever your next category down is. Yes, yeah, yeah, that would just be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. I don't know if I am going to be able to go to Le Mans this year for all the reasons of whether they allow people in, whether I feel safe going there or whether indeed I'm available to go because I may have something else to do this summer, which I'm not going to talk about right now. But I would be sad if I did go to Le Mans and the hypercars were a disappointment. I'm not saying they are. I just slightly baffled by the results of the first days running at Prologue, you know. As far as this year goes, I think any non-essential international travel I'm going to avoid, like the plague. Because of the plague. Yeah, you're actually avoiding the plague. Yeah. Because of the plague, but I think people are going to be like, oh, we're going to go, we're going to go and do this, we're going to go and do that, and there's going to be this massive spread of people, and everywhere you actually want to go is going to be busy and full of people coughing into one another's open mouths. So, hard <laughs> pass on that. But also, I think the Mudrick of Le Mans, there's two and a half hyper cars there yeah i want to see it i want to go there like when the world is safe or safer and when you've got a fuller field when the aston's there and porsche's there and whoever else is there ferrari's there and everyone's kind of raring to go and glickenhaus is there going i drove here in this did you no i'm better than you (laughs) yeah (laughs) could you do that yeah i feel very similar jim glickenhaus's career is ludicrous like he's car guy financier and then he did b-movies like tromaville stuff Mm-hmm. 
which is just amazing. Was he actually involved with Troma Pictures? I believe he was. Hang on, I'm in front of oh, an Fantastic. Oh, I love a bit of Toxic Avenger. Surf Nazis must die. That's a hell of a movie. Whilst you're looking at the internet, here's some hot news from the internet. The WEC second day of the prologue has just finished. And guess what? Sebastian Wamey has put the Toyota hypercar on top. Uh, <laughs> completely negating that last conversation we've just had. But that makes more sense. Good. I'm really pleased to hear that. Let's see. Yeah, it's good to see the normal correct order of things yeah. restored to some extent. Good for him. I'm trying to find all the details here. Let's have a look. Wamey posted a time of 2 minutes 4.669. His lap was half a second down on the quickest over two days. But Nick de Vries still in the G-Drive. Oh, that's interesting. So the G-Drive was quicker yesterday. The grandfathered Alpine Gibson A480. The Rebellion R13. Ended up third in the final period of testing. Okay, so the quicker cars are at the front. Good, good. Phew. That was a worry for a moment there. Okay, tell us about Jim Glickenhouse. What have you found, Alex? I'm still looking up. So James Glickenhouse, his name appears with Troma. And I heard this years ago. I could swear he is the same Glickenhouse. Yeah, there can't be that many Glickenhouses. Especially James Glickenhouses that worked in film. Yeah, on Glickenstrasse. I live in the Glickenhaus on Glickenstrasse in Glickenville. No. Glickenhaus James, right, here we are. Wikipedia, that's always reliable. Yeah, Glickenhaus wrote, directed and produced a number of films in the 80s and 90s, including The Exterminator and the Jackie Chan vehicle, The Protector. And then Cars. I wonder if he got into the idea of Le Mans then via Jackie Chan, who's a big Le Mans supporter and runs a team Z, doesn't he? I wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was delighted when Jackie Chan turned up at Le Mans. I was going to back a Jackie Chan vehicle. Filmography. So he's not necessarily Troma. There must be another. The Astrology, The Exterminator, The Soldier, The Protector, Manic Cop, Shakedown, Basket Case 2, Frankenhooker, producer on that one, McBain, director and writer, Basket Case 3, Slaughter of the Innocents, Ring of Steel. (laughs) They're all quality films, aren't they? (laughs) Tough and Deadly, Time Master, Bad Biology, and he was an actor in Bad Biology, and he's an actor in 2015's The Art Thief. There you are. Fantastic. Those titles, they're all sort of doing thing words, aren't they? What's the next one going to be called? The Qualifier, The Refueler, The Pit Stopper. He's a proper movie man. That's excellent. Proper trashy, schlocky cinema auteur creator. And I approve of trashy cinema. I'm really not knocking it at all. <laughs> we welcome his cash and his cars to the WEC and Le Mans if they ever turn up. They will, they will. Let's hope so. Okay, let's talk about Formula E. Did you guys follow Formula E last weekend? Ooh. I watched my Twitter feed start laughing at Formula E. Then I read what happened. And you know how you as a parent, Gareth, would have said to your kids, you must do well in school. You must study because then you'll end up doing something really exciting. You can be an engineer or you can do this and you can do that. This is proof that engineers cock it up as well. Wasn't it like one decimal point was missing and everyone made a huge mistake? Well, but this is the interesting question. Whose fault was it? Whose cock up was it? Because as I understand it, at the End of what had been a pretty exciting fifth round race at Valencia. In the last two laps, because of the way that safety cars had worked out, when the leader of the race crossed the line for what most teams thought was going to be the final lap, it turned out there were actually two laps left to go. 
with the result that basically half the field ran out of energy in the final lap and had to coast home. Order got completely shaken up. And as I understand that this ridiculous cock, and it was a ridiculous cock, it was an embarrassment for the sport really. It happened mostly because one of the rules in Formula E has to do with how much power allowance is taken off each car each time the safety car is deployed. Yeah, I think they were using five kilowatt hours for every lap of the safety car at Valencia, I think. And then there's some discretion allowed. They can choose to apply a lower deduction from all the teams. Anyway, basically because there were so many safety car incidents and because of the amount of energy allowance removed from each vehicle in the closing stages of the race and everybody is topping up their car to have just enough power for the race then yeah half the field ran out of juice because <laughs> they didn't have enough power left yeah. within their allowance after the safety car things have been taken off i've read a lot of people saying this was a terrible embarrassment for Formula E. I think it was a terrible embarrassment. I don't think it is. Let me try and explain why. You know, there's no such thing as bad publicity and any publicity gets attention and that's probably mm. what Formula E needs right now. And you know I've been critical of Formula E in the past. It's never quite delivered for me what I'd like to see from it. However, I thought, I'll oh, watch this. They're racing at Valencia this weekend. That'll be quite interesting. I'd like to see them on a proper track for once. I can make a direct comparison with the sports I love so passionately. I thought the cars on that slightly shortened track behaved really well. It looked like proper racing. It was fascinating. Yeah, they had room to overtake and yeah. they were making use of that extra yeah. room and yeah, it was a good race at the yeah. end. And it had a bunch of safety cars which kept neutralising the race and bringing all the cars together over a long track where they could spread out again. And it reminded me, watching it, of something like a 1500 metres or more at the Olympics where you get a bunch of guys all running together in a sort of a peloton, all allowing someone at the front to do all the work and then it the last two laps somebody goes for it and that's when it all happens but you've got to manage your amount of energy level what runners do is what formula e did and yeah there were calculations and some teams got that calculation right other teams got that calculation wrong and the reason i think forgive me if i got this wrong but i think it was all down to the race leader antonio felix de costa who had to make a decision about when he crossed that line, because the race is, what, 40 minutes plus one lap. And if he slowed down enough, he would then only have to do one more lap. But if he crossed the line before the 40 minutes was up, he would then have to do two laps. Two laps. Yeah. yeah. And he made a decision that no one was expecting, because you'd expect him to back it up, back it up, I've only got to do one. But then you run the chance of other people overtaking you because you slow down too much. But he went for it. Which is kind of a crazy thing to do. He decided to go racing. Yeah! He went fast. Yeah. And if that is the case and how it played out, then good on him. And the fact that you could get tripped up by the strategy and that some teams didn't get tripped up by the strategy, brilliant. If on the last lap, half the field failed to cross the line. I think that's, look, it can be done. You didn't manage to do it. 
we win. And it made it really exciting. I love Formula E at Valencia. I just want to see them race on proper tracks now. I'm fed up with these little narrow tracks. Although they are going to Monaco and they're going to race on the full Monaco circuit, aren't they? Yes, please. I don't think you can say that De Costa was doing anything terribly clever by crossing the line early because he had extra two laps because he tumbled back down the field as a result of that because he didn't have enough energy. Oh, you can't help bad luck. To have this sort of deus ex machina element to come in and prevent most of the field racing at the end. No, I think it is a joke. I think it is embarrassing. It's very, very silly. Great entertainment in the process. <laughs> I don't like a lot of these elements of fan boost, people being able to influence what happens on track but just by voting off track. Yeah, and this element of race organisers being able to reduce your energy allocation in a way that sort of turns off half of the field kind of artificially. I don't see any upsides to it. I only see downsides and downsides of what we saw this weekend in making the end of a race suck, I think. I don't mind that the whole energy allocation thing changing while the safety car's out because it makes the race a moving beast and it means all the engineers have to do recalculations and that's part of the ever-changing map of a race. Mm. I like that. But, hey, let's talk about good old-fashioned, good old-fashioned motorsport. IndyCar, the season's now two races in. As we know, Romain Grosjean has joined the field in America or as they call him on American TV, Romain Grosjean. How you could find a new way of pronouncing his name, I don't know, but... I found it very entertaining. He's not done bad. He's racing with Dale Coyne Racing, who are a solid team, but have never won a championship. He finished 13th in St. Petersburg, and he finished 10th on his debut in Alabama, which is pretty good. Well done. But it's nothing when you compare it to Alex Palu, who won on his debut in IndyCar at Alabama, his first race. That's some achievement. Also, you've got Jimmy Johnson racing in IndyCar now. The 1,100 times NASCAR champion, is that right? Has he won NASCAR 1,100 times? I don't know. But I've no real knowledge about NASCAR and Jimmy Johnson other than that he is a open inverted commas legend, quote inverted commas. And I dispute that because there is strong evidence that he did in fact exist, so he can't be a legend. It's well documented. But Jimmy Johnson turns out to be a lovely guy. Have you seen him in the interviews? Have you caught any IndyCar? Uh, haven't, no. I'd caught up with the results, but I haven't seen him interviewed, no. He's a lovely guy. I really want him to do well in IndyCar. He's not a youngster. There again, the Indy field is quite a broad age spectrum. There are babies in there. I think Alex Palu, I think he's in his mid-twenties. Halton Herter, Brian Herter's son, is only 21 and one of the youngest ever IndyCar winners. So the young guys are winning now instead of the old guard who've been winning for years and years. So IndyCar's in reasonable shape. And this weekend, if you haven't watched an IndyCar, watch the Texas Motor Speedway race that's coming, which is a proper oval, good old-fashioned... Proper ven- proper old-school yeah. venue, yeah. I'd like yeah. to see a Formula E race on a mini oval like that. They'd probably fall to pieces if they hit the wall. But it would sort of suit that kind of racing where they're drafting and they're minding their energy levels and it's all down to the last lap. Don't you want something quite noisy going around an oval, though? Doesn't an oval maybe suit big noisy cars going flat out? Always better with the noise. But I tell you what, at Valencia, for the first time ever... 
I noticed the sound of all the Formula E cars together and it sounded quite good. It sounded like a futuristic motorsport rather than a bunch of washing machines whining for some reason. I don't know if it's because it was in a big circuit that had a bit of reverb or something, but Formula E on proper circuits, let's have them on an oval next. That's what I say. That's my thought to wrap up this show. Am I insane? Maybe. No, I think let's give it a shot. <laughs> I think we're all uh, slightly insane because we love this sport. Thank you, gentlemen, for talking nonsense with me. You've been listening to Zog. Goodbye. And Alex Goy. Bye. And we'll be back with more nonsense in a fortnight right here on Gareth Jones on Speed. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. by Whizbang. Get a chance speed! 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 Speed!